Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. As Pastor Dan- Dave mentioned just a moment ago, today's Communion Sunday, and in just a few moments, we're going to gather around the communion table and receive the bread and the cup. And this is always a very special occasion as we take some time to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. It was during the Last Supper when Jesus instituted the Communion Supper that he said to his disciples, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. And how many of you know, without the death and sacrifice of Jesus, we wouldn't even be here today. And so we're going to spend some time uh, with communion. Uh, We're going to receive it together, and I'll walk you through that. But first, uh, before we do all that, I'd like to take a few minutes and introduce our brand new sermon series for the month of October. We're calling it Slaying the Giants. Say that. Slaying the Giants. With this series, we're going to identify and confront five different giants we all face. Five monstrous human issues that we're compelled to deal with on a regular basis. And so let me give them to you in random order. The complete list of giants that we're going to address in this series. Are you ready? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. All right. Yeah, you have no other choice. Because <laughs> they're coming at you. Here they are. Five giants. Envy. Pride. Greed. Lust. And wrath. One more time. Envy. Pride. Greed, lust, and wrath. This is what we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks, including today. And right out of the starting gate, I want you to know that this series is not designed to belittle you or to beat you up. We don't do that here. Our desire is to encourage you and to motivate you and to inspire you. And so our goal with this series is to take down some giants. And I predict that this month, the month of October, heads are going to roll, giant heads. And some of you who have been battling these uh, menacing and malicious demons for years and years are finally going to get victory. How does that sound? A whole month of freedom and breakthrough. And I sincerely believe it's going to happen. Now, it was back in August, as we were finishing up the Summer on the Mount series, when the Lord first dropped this whole idea of slaying the giants in my mind. And keep in mind that we didn't spend 13 weeks studying the Sermon on the Mount just to get a gold star on our forehead. The Spirit of the Lord had a whole lot more in mind than just that. What God was after was transformation and takeaway, allowing the anointed, powerful, life-changing words of Jesus, his instructions that he gave to us, to penetrate our hearts and to bump us off center 
and to help us uh, reduce the amount of sin and failure in our lives. And don't look now, but in that sermon that Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Mount, known as the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus addressed all five of these giants. He talked about every one of them. And Jesus basically, basically said in the life of a true believer, someone like you and me, someone who has a deep desire to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world, these giants have to fall. We have to take these giants out of our lives. And so again, several weeks ago, when the Lord first started to talk to me about this theme and about this series, immediately my mind went to a very familiar story found in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's the famous story of David and Goliath. And when you review that account in detail, every single one of us across the board, no exceptions, would have concluded there's just no way Goliath is ever going to be defeated. I mean, come on. You have a nine-foot military warrior. I'm talking Ripley's, believe it or not, freak of a man, armed to the teeth against an untrained, unskilled, inexperienced teenage boy with a stick and a stone. No contest at all. And if 1 Samuel 17 wasn't in the Bible, not a single person in this room would have picked David to win. But check it out. 1 Samuel 17 is in the Bible. And in that story, a faith-filled, God-honoring shepherd boy went up against a giant and he took him down. He hit him right between the eyes with a stone immediately killing him on the spot, and then he proceeded to chop his head off. And we are going to follow suit this month. That's what we're going to do. We're going giant hunting. I mean, you talk about Shocktober. We're going to shock a few giants, and we're going to bring them to their knees. Are you with me? We are going to do that this month. And today in lesson number one of this series, we're going to start with the giant envy. Say that with me. Envy. envy. We're going to start with envy. And out of the five giants that we're going to address in this series, you may be tempted to conclude that envy is not that big of a deal. I mean, compared to some of the others that we're going to be talking about, like lust and wrath and the ugliness of pride, if I'm walking around every now and then with a little jealous streak in my heart, that's certainly not the end of the world. Well, I want you to consider what James said in James chapter 3 and verse 16. And I want you, I, I know that you're aware of this verse, but I want you to listen carefully to every word. James 3.16 says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, that's what envy is. So where you have envy... There you will find disorder and every evil practice. How many evil practices? Every. James says you open Pandora's box to envy and look out. There's no telling what kind of trouble and what kind of evil you're going to encounter. 
And envy in a nutshell is jealousy, resentment, bitterness, and covetousness. Where the tire meets the road, envy is thinking someone else is better off than you. I'm going to say that again. Biblical envy, the kind of envy, envy that we're going to be talking about today is us thinking that somebody else is better off than we are. And when this particular feeling or mindset uh, it persists in our hearts, it can create, James says, it can create an uncontrollable monster that has no limitations. And scripturally speaking, James wasn't the Lone Ranger here. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30, Solomon said, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. The New Living Translation said, Envy is like having bone cancer. How many know that's not good? Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17 says, Do not covet, that's another word for envy, don't covet your neighbor's goods, don't covet your neighbor's house, don't, certainly don't covet your neighbor's wife. And if you don't remember it, this was one of the Ten Commandments spoken by God. So pretty important instruction here. And then finally, the Apostle Paul got into the act. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, written for everyone, not just married couples when they're standing at the altar on their wedding day, but 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. So, if we are going to be the people of God, and we're going to love others the way that Jesus loved us, then we have to be willing to go after envy with a vengeance and dig it up by the roots. That has to be something that we acknowledge as important, and we have to be willing to do something about it. Not just allow it to linger, not allow it to stay in our hearts. And over the years, I've noticed people who struggle with envy, they usually compare themselves to others. They do this on a regular basis. And people who are envious toward others, they have a tendency to exaggerate the possessions and wins of others, at the same time minimizing their own blessings. This is what happens when we compare ourselves to others and think somebody is better off than we are. We exaggerate or we emphasize everything good happening in their lives and we have a tendency to minimize the good things that are happening in our own. And just to follow up a little with the David and Goliath story, that's precisely what happened to King Saul. King Saul became green with envy. Now, please understand, before David took out Goliath, before he went after Goliath and, and beat him, killed him, King Saul was the most powerful man in Israel. Did you hear that? King Saul was not only the king, but he was the commander of the greatest nation on the planet, the nation of Israel, whose God was El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. King Saul, he, he commanded that army. 
And at that time, his wealth was beyond imagination. Palace living afforded him every luxury you could possibly imagine. He had the world at his fingertips. He had access to every human indulgence you could possibly imagine. And on top of all those other blessings, along came David. And David was able to do something that no other soldier in King Saul's army could do. He went up against the Philistine champion and he killed him. And right after that, it enabled King Saul to totally defeat the Philistine army. And at that time, when that happened, I mean, oh, King Saul was a happy man. He, he was able to defeat Israel's greatest enemy. And so he was so excited about what David had done, he gave in marriage his daughter to David. David became his son-in-law. And then he invited David to come and live in the palace. And then he gave David a place of honor and high ranking in his army. And the scripture tells us that whatever David did, not only did he do it with excellence, but it always got done and God favored him. Every single assignment that King Saul gave to David, David handled it. And David was extremely loyal to his king, his father-in-law. In fact, his one objective and his one motive for living was to stand by his king's side, to serve him, to submit to him, and even die for him if necessary. That was the heart of David. David was the most loyal subject in King Saul's army. Well, as the years went by, the scripture tells us that David uh, began to uh, exceed everyone's expectations as a military leader. And he gained tremendous reputation among the people because he was victorious on the battlefield. Everyone loved David. Everyone anticipated that when he returned home, that he would come home with another victory. And such was the case on one occasion when David had notched yet another victory notch on his belt. And the scripture says on this occasion, the women and children, they came out of their homes to greet David and to congratulate him. And they began to sing and to dance. And someone in the crowd came up with a song. It went something like this. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. I want to break into song, but I can't. I'll embarrass myself. The tune quickly caught on, and everyone began to sing it, and everyone began to shout it. Saul has slain his thousands. But David is ten thousands. And of all the rotten luck, guess who happened to be standing in the palace courtyard listening to all that? King Saul. And when he heard it, he was incensed. He was upset. He hated that little tune. And he allowed resentment to come into his heart immediately. And the Bible tells us, listen, the Bible tells us the very next day an evil spirit came forcibly upon King Saul. Not 
it didn't just enter into him. That evil spirit came upon him forcibly. That's what 1 Samuel 18.10 tells us. Now, the Bible doesn't identify the exact spirit that came upon him. But if you ask me, envy had to be mixed in to everything that was going on. Envy had to be a part of it. Because the scripture goes on to tell us, from that time forward, for years and years, Saul was so jealous of David, he tried to kill him. Can you imagine a father-in-law trying to kill his son-in-law? It's not possible. Is it, Pops? That could never happen. <laughs> he chased him down like a wild animal, forced him to run and hide in caves and in remote places, and this went on for years. See, envy blinded King Saul's eyes. King Saul had way more than David. We read the story, we would all acknowledge it. He had more power, more fame, more wealth. He had more than anything that David had. But he got hung up on David's windfall, that tiny little song of recognition. That's what envy will do. That's the power of envy. Prevent us from acknowledging and appreciating our good fortune. And all we can see is the good things that are happening for everybody else. And when we spend too much time focusing on other people's blessing, we have a tendency to minimize the faithfulness of God in our lives. Amen. We just can't see it. We can't receive all of the goodness that comes our way and we begin to look at life with a very critical eye. And I see this happening all the time. I hear about this all the time. So let me tell you what 38 years of pastoring has taught me. I'm going to give you the benefit of my experience. First of all, no one lives a charmed life. Did you hear me? No one walks through this life unscathed. It may appear sometimes like they do, but it's not true. Everybody fights battles. Everybody faces adversity. But on the other side of the coin, we all have something to be thankful for. Because here in this country, we have all received tremendous blessing from our God, countless blessings. And when you allow those two realities to be in the forefront of your mind, when you implement those two truths that I just shared with you, it will change the way that you think. It will empower you every time envy comes knocking on your door. And trust me, it will. Because just like the other four giants that we're going to look at in this series, envy is a relentless monster. And right about the time that you think you have it covered and you have it handled, just about the time that you have been able to dig some of this resentment out of your heart, envy will blindside you. And you'll wonder, where in the world did this come from? And that's what happened to Asaph in Psalm 73. Asaph wrote 
12 of the Psalms. He was a worship leader. He worked for King David. A couple of weeks ago, Joy talked about Asaph during her message. She quoted from a different psalm that Asaph wrote. And in Psalm 73, in verse 2, here's what Asaph said. As for me, as for who? As for me, I almost lost my footing. Asaph said my feet were slipping and I was almost gone. Asaph said, spiritually speaking, I felt myself slipping and there was nothing I could do about it. Here I am, Asaph said, I'm a worship leader. I'm a, a singer of songs and a musician in the house of God. And I'm in bad shape spiritually. I'm moving in the wrong direction. And then in the very next verse, in verse 3, Asaph comes right out and confesses the problem. He said, the spirit of envy hit me. I got hit with this giant, nasty feeling of envy. And he said, I became resentful for, toward those who are successful and those who are fortunate. He came right out and said it. I was blinded by envy. I was blinded by jealousy. Here I am, a minister of the gospel, and I'm blinded by this giant. And in Psalm 73, verses 4, 5, and 7, Asaph said, the people I became envious of just seem to live painless lives. It just appears to me that they have no pain in their life. Their bodies are always healthy and strong. No sickness there. They don't have any trouble like other people. No trouble like me. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. These fat cats, that's what the scripture says, they have everything their hearts could ever wish or hope for and more. Can you hear the heart of Asaph? It's not fair. God, it's not fair. It's not right for these people to prosper and to be as successful as they are and me not be on the receiving end of the same thing. And then Asaph gets a little self-righteous. He continues in Psalm 13 and 14, Psalm 73, 13 and 14. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Can you hear him say that? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all the day long. Every morning brings me pain. These other people, they're living high on the hog. I get the short end of the stick. It's not fair. Sound familiar? Of course it does. Because it echoes us. And these are the same kinds of things that we say occasionally to the Lord when we think life is not fair. When we start feeling sorry for ourselves and where it appears as though blessings are falling all around us but nothing's landing at our front door. Everyone else standing up giving testimony of the goodness of God. Nothing coming our way. But then after a little holy conviction in the same song with the same breath Asaph starts singing a different tune. Verses 21 through 24 of Psalm 73. When my heart was grieved, when my spirit was embittered, when I was hit with all this envy, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you, O God. Yet 
I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Can you still picture that little image from last month where our faithful father is reaching out and taking us by the hand? Finally, in verses 25 and 26 of Psalm 73, Asaph says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What beautiful and poetic words. And friend, this is the secret right here to overcoming envy. This is what we have to keep coming back to when we get a little sidetracked, when our feet slip from time to time, and we find ourselves in a place spiritually that we shouldn't be. Psalm 73, 25 and 26, there is nothing on earth I desire but you. Lord, there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh is going to fail. But God, you are the strength of my life forever. All right, I'm going to ask you to please bow your heads at this time and we'll prepare for communion. Father, we thank you for a powerful time of worship in your presence earlier. And Lord, how you were speaking to us through that worship service. Lord, you just seem to focus in on the name and the power of Jesus. Because your word says, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and below the earth, and every tongue confess, including my tongue, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We thank you for sending Jesus into the world to be our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who would rescue us from darkness and translate us into the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, as we spend just a few moments here this morning focusing on all that you have done for us and remembering the cross because you asked us to do that, I pray, Lord God, that hearts would be changed. I pray they would come back to our remembrance. Some of the things we learned over the summer about how you want us to act and how you want us to behave because it's just so easy, Lord, to lose sight of these things. For the people of God, you don't want us neglecting the goodness that you have passed along to us. You desire gratefulness in our hearts. Lord, we're not a people that stand before you with an attitude of entitlement. You don't owe us anything, Lord. We owe you our lives. And I pray, God, that you would speak very clearly during these next few moments. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
The scripture says it was on the night Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. Now, if you understand the salvation story, then there's no doubt in your mind that Jesus had to go to the cross. By his own admission, he said, that's the reason why I was born. That was my cause. That's why I came into the world. To die on the cross for the sins of mankind, to be buried, and then three days later to be raised to life again. That was the mission. That was the plan from the very beginning. It had to happen. However, in the story of salvation, in the story of Jesus going to the cross, there's a very interesting verse of scripture in the Gospels, and both Matthew and Mark record it. It happened very early in the morning on Good Friday, before Jesus was condemned to death, before he was ordered by the Praetorian Guard to be executed and hung on that cross. And it was during the time that Pilate was interrogating him, asking him all kinds of questions. And the Bible tells us, it specifically says in Matthew and in Mark, for Pilate knew that it was out of envy that the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders had turned him over to Pilate to be executed. Did you catch that? was out of envy. The death of Jesus was written. It was communicated. It was accomplished with the help of the spirit of envy. That giant came alive in the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious elite, they couldn't stand Jesus because they were jealous of him. They were jealous of his ministry. They despised his popularity among the people. They hated the fact that he could perform miracles and they couldn't. People were changed and transformed at his fingertips and by his words and it wasn't happening for them and they allowed envy to consume their hearts and blind their eyes and on their resume is this fact, they killed the Son of God. You think envy is not that powerful? Not that big of a deal? It's a monster. It's a monster that grips our hearts. And it does damage to our relationships, especially with our relationship with God. Now, most of you, if you've been here for a while, you know a little bit of my testimony. 46 years ago, I was working in the Detroit Police Department. Partner friend of mine witnessed the gospel to me. And by the grace of God, my life was radically changed. I received that gospel of grace. 
a revelation of Jesus, what he did for me on the cross. I, I knew what he had done. I didn't just, I didn't know he did it for me. I believed that because of his sacrifice, I could have life. It wasn't for just everyone else. It, it was for me. That Jesus had me in mind when he went to the cross. And I, I understood that I was headed for a godless eternity without him. But because of what he did, he snatched me from darkness and saved me. And it was day one of my salvation that I decided I was going to live for God and devote my life to him. And the conclusion that I made at that time, way back, 40-some years ago, and even today, was if God never did anything else for me, if he never, ever answered another prayer, him granting me eternal salvation was way more than I deserved. It was more than I had coming. And the Lord just keeps bringing me back to that. He doesn't owe me anything else. I can see blessings pouring out around me. That doesn't entitle me to anything because of what he's already done for me. And that has helped me over the years. It's helped me to deal with envy. It's helped me to deal with jealousy. It's helped me to celebrate the wins of others and to get excited for people and happy for people when something good happens to them. It's not something I put a smile on my face, but inside I'm cringing. No, I, I, I actually feel good when people have wins. But I also told you envy is always lurking, always there, always knocking on the door. And a couple of months ago in August, we planned a church-wide barbecue, if you remember. It was going to be the summer event of the year. And we pulled out all the stops. I mean, we were detailed in what we were going to give to our church family. The Lord had blessed us this year. We wanted to bless you with games and food. And there was a book sale. And we were giving stuff away. And it was, I mean, it, there were all kinds of things happening. The only thing that could mess us up was rain. I wish we'd have got a little bit of rain. We didn't get rain. We experienced the wrath of God. <laughs> and it didn't stop. And I got to be honest, I was, I was proud of our staff. I mean, they did their best. We, we put a smile on our face. We, we tried in a really bad situation to at least be pleasant around the people that came. But honestly, it was disappointing. I said, Lord, why? You know, July and August, a sprinkle here and there. And the night of our barbecue, a monsoon. <laughs> then I learned shortly after that that the very next day on Thursday, one of our competitors, I mean another local church, <laughs> another loving church family, they planned the same event as we did, and they got a beautiful day. 85 degrees, no wind, no rain, gorgeous, sunshiny day. And guess who came knocking at my door? Envy. It's there. It's always there. Trying to steal from us. The goodness that God has blessed us with. Trying to steal our joy. Trying to take away our faith. Always trying to strip us 
of our relationship with God and pointing the finger, Lord, you know, did I do all this in vain? Jesus went to that cross. Scripture tells us in Isaiah, he died for every sin and every sickness. He carried our sorrows. He carried our griefs. But we're told in the book of Colossians that he made a public show of every principality and power. He overcame every single demon of hell, including envy. He pulled down the stronghold of envy in our lives. And friends, we don't have to wait until heaven to defeat this giant. We don't have to wait until heaven to be at peace with ourselves and what we have. We don't have to wait until heaven to dig some of the resentment and bitterness out of our hearts because we covet what other people have. We can do it now. We can do it today. And it starts with Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you, God? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. You're the strength of my heart and my life forever. If you haven't already done so, would you take a communion package and open it up? Go ahead and take the bread. Father, your life was broken. You sent Jesus to die on the cross. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Your body broke that ours wouldn't have to. We don't want to have rotten bodies. We don't want to have cancer in our souls. We don't want to live with unhealthy emotions like envy and jealousy and resentment. And I pray, Lord God, what you would do is remind us of how good you have been to us so that we can acknowledge our blessing, Lord, and our fortune and our goodness that you've given to us. For those who are struggling, Lord, those who just have a feeling right now that life isn't fair, they've made sacrifices, they've made commitments to you. Lord, like Asaph, they, they've tried to do their best and it just seems like Nothing good has ever come their way. Lord, I pray that you would reverse that thinking right now and help us to acknowledge you have been good. Go in and take the cup as well. Thank you, Lord.